Hi there, this is Alvin, and welcome to the Kickstarter Commerce Podcast, where we share search marketing and domain investing strategies to help grow your business. In today's episode, our guest is Tia Sean Roquier, the CEO of Namebase.io, the premier domain registrar built on top of the new DNS protocol handshake. Today, Tia Sean and I dive deep into how engineering a platform to hawk t-shirts led to him dropping out of high school at the age of 16. 16, that's right, you heard me, dropping out of high school at the age of 16. Tia Shot also shares how he and a partner were accepted into the Y Combinator after launching a recruiting startup for software engineering teams to grow via employee referrals. In addition, we discussed the inner workings and challenges of birthing Namebase.io only weeks before receiving a $100,000 TIL fellowship grant, yet a few months after dropping out of MIT. Yes, he's a dropout times two. We also chat about the origins of Handshake and how both decentralized and centralized web ecosystems could possibly coexist. And last but not least, Tishon drops nothing but nuggets about the Handshake domain auction process, including the pros and the cons of becoming a registry versus a Handshake domain owner slash developer, as well as other use cases. And so with that, Tishon, my man, welcome, and thank you for making time to join us today. Thanks for having me, Alvin. Yeah, certainly, certainly. So to kick things off, Tishan, share with the listeners at a high level a bit about yourself, who you are, your personal and professional background. Yeah, uh, just quick history. So I'm the CEO of Namebase, which is a domain registrar for the Handshake blockchain. And just for quick context, Handshake is uh, effectively a decentralized domain name system uh, built on the blockchain. And uh, has a number of you know security and censorship resistance and you know usability improvements over traditional DNS, but that's what Namebase does. Is we make it easy to use Handshake. And prior to that, I uh, started a company that went through Y Combinator, uh, which is a startup accelerator that funded Dropbox and Reddit, Airbnb, DoorDash, you know, a bunch of companies that actually went IPOing this year. And I also went to school at MIT, where I met my co-founder Anthony. Uh, and that's actually kind of where we started Namebase out of. Um, and I also did some engineering work before that. So that's kind of a quick about me. Man, a quick about you. And I'm like, man, that is like jam packed with so many different questions. One of the first questions that I that I thought was interesting is that you have a path that is unlike most. I mean, talk about a, a path that is less traveled. Now, you dropped out of high school. Now, I've got to know, like, what's the backstory there? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a funny story. Um, you know, I was I was always a fairly like studious student, very academically oriented, but I just had a really great opportunity uh, after my sophomore year, after my 10th grade in high school, I got to work at this company called Teespring. They were a Silicon Valley startup. Uh, they were growing like crazy. Uh, I think at the time that I joined them, they were doing a million dollars a day in revenue. Is that and like a t-shirt company? Yeah, it's a t-shirt company, uh, which is a crazy thing. They're selling a million dollars worth of t-shirts every day. A <laughs> million dollars a day in t-shirts? Yeah, yeah. It was kind of a crazy thing because um, basically uh, these affiliate marketers, you know, digital marketers, they discovered Teespring as a platform because they let you design a t-shirt and start selling it without any capital ah. up front. And then they would just go and use, you know, Facebook ads and basically just, you know, you'd be like a Texas and be like, oh, like, um, 
a male in Texas who likes cheese or something random like that. Uh, people would just like love those really personalized t-shirts and they just, you know, bought them up. Um, and that's, that's kind of how it grew so much. So it's almost like drop shipping. Yeah. Yeah. Basically like for t-shirts. <laughs> that man, that's crazy. So how did you stumble up on that opportunity? Yeah, I was always, um, you know, I think ever since I was 13, I had discovered Y Combinator, which is uh, the startup accelerator that I mentioned. Um, the founder of Y Combinator, Paul Grant, he's you know, very well known in the uh, tech world. He's written a lot of essays. So I kind of stumbled upon a few of his essays and kind of got sucked into it. Um, and I had actually discovered Teespring because their founder had written a few blog posts as well about uh, how much they were growing and uh you know like the technology and everything behind it it was really cool because a lot of the people who were actually you know making a, li a living on teespring were uh not these already very successful people but just you know your your average everyday joe uh, or even it'd be like a stay-at-home mom um you know like in the south who just like has some extra time in their hands and they would just start designing these t-shirts and selling them and then they were literally able to put their kids through college because of that. So was, uh, that economic empowerment was something that I found very exciting. And, and it's actually kind of a, a theme that stayed with me, uh, even into Namebase, uh, which is a separate conversation. But effectively, I, I got very excited about that. And I ended up building a clone of Teespring in my spare time when I was in school. Uh, and at the end of my sophomore year, I, I basically emailed the CEO of Teespring. And I was like, hey, you know, I'm really excited about your company. I ended up building a clone. You know, is there any chance I can intern with y'all? And then they they agreed. And so I got to go and intern with them for the summer. And then that one thing led to another. And I actually ended up uh, working with them for a whole year after that. And I dropped out of high school in order to do that. This man dropped out of high school to go follow his dreams, hawking T-shirts, y'all. Like, like who, who does that? And then first of all, I'm just kind of blown away by it. It's like awesome opportunity. But then I'm sitting there thinking to myself, like Tisha, I'm like, what, what did your parents say about you dropping out? Yeah, they're, um, you know, surprisingly, cause I'm half uh, Chinese actually. And, um, you know, my dad's white. I don't really have like a tiger mom. They've always been very supportive of me in terms of whatever decision I end up making for myself. Uh, and so they were kind of scared that I was moving from the East Coast to San Francisco and living on my own, but they also kind of trusted me. So uh, they're just mostly encouraging and excited. So you wait, you moved from uh, from the East Coast to San Francisco. I mean, how old were you? I mean, you you were definitely what just probably just driving, I would imagine. Yeah, I was 16 at the time, um, although no, no driving in San Francisco was necessary because of Uber. They had a lot of credits. <laughs> if you remember when Uber and Lyft was first getting big, they would just basically give you like free rides all the time. So didn't really need to drive. <laughs> That's great. So 16 years old, you're on your own, figuring, figuring life out, figuring out what you want to do. So you worked there at Teespring for a year. And then I guess what happened after that? Yeah, so after about a year there, uh, I was actually thinking of going back to school, uh, but I ended up actually starting a company with my friend. It was a recruiting startup. Uh, we were basically trying to help tech companies grow their engineering teams through employee referrals. And we got really fortunate. We, we applied to Y Combinator and we ended up getting in. And that always been a dream of mine. So I was expecting to you know do that in my 20s, but just got really lucky, got in when I was 17 at the time. And ended up actually running that company for about a year. We raised money from, you know, Y Combinator, of course, and also Greg Brockman, who's 
he was the CTO of Stripe and then now the co-founder of OpenAI. But we did that. And then near the end of it, I kind of realized that I actually did want to go back to school. Uh, so I applied to MIT, was really lucky and got in. And then I you know, went back home to study at MIT. Uh, but that was kind of the, the wrap up of that period in Silicon Valley for me. Interesting. So like what lit that match inside to say, you know, hey, I, I actually want to go back and, and attempted to, to do an undergrad and especially at MIT. Yeah, totally. So there are a few reasons. I mean, one was MIT is very technical and, you know, I was an engineer and then also was in the East Coast. So it was close to my family. Um, and actually a lot of the motivation was because, uh, you know, I had left school. Uh, I, I left school at 16 and so I didn't really get that time with my parents as much. And I, and to be frank, I just missed them and I wanted to be mm-hmm. close to home so I could actually get that experience with them just for a little bit longer before going off my own again. Uh, so in a way it was kind of homesickness. And then also I think that there are, you know, just so many benefits to actually going to school, just like the education and also the social experience. I really got to kind of see how much harder it is to actually uh, socialize in many ways once you're done with college, because college just puts, you know, thousands of kids all the same age and, you know, with the same general interest together. And this is a really unique environment. And so I, I knew that I was missing out on that to an extent. And also after being in Silicon Valley, I knew I could go back, you know, anytime I had a bit of a network out there, you know, from my first few years working there. So it just, it just made sense at the time for me to go and do that. Now, in terms of timeline, so I guess you, when did you start MIT? Yeah, I started MIT 2016, so when I was 18. Uh, so I actually got really lucky. It worked out where I ended up going to college the same year as all of my peers in high school. Uh, so basically, instead of doing my junior and, and senior year in high school, I just did my junior and senior year you know, working in Silicon Valley, uh, and then ended up going to MIT for two years from 2016 to 2018, you know, and then I started Namebase and I, I got the Teal Fellowship, which is, it's a fellowship started by Peter Teal. They give uh, about $100,000 to uh, students who drop out of college to start their own companies. Um, so I was able to receive that and then I left MIT to start Namebase. Well, okay. So now that answers the next question, because I was like, okay, what, you know, precipitated you to say, okay, I'm dropping out a second time. And now I understand it was a $100,000 check that, Okay, hey, if you drop out, here's a hundred thousand dollars. Go do your thing now. In terms yeah, of so actually, funnily, things, funnily enough, it was actually um, it was after dropping out that I had applied to the fellowship and got it. So it was act- it was actually Namebase itself that uh, led me to dropping out. But um, you know, after after doing it, just receiving the fellowship on top was kind of like a nice uh, cherry on top. <laughs> So then, okay, so then you're in MIT, and then now how does Namebase come about? Yeah, totally. So it was really serendipitous in a lot of ways because I had met my co-founder, Anthony. Uh, He studied computer science and focused on cybersecurity, and he was, uh, you know, probably the best engineer that I've ever met from MIT. I actually met him because I asked one of my friends, Efe, who was kind of... uh, he also kind of was part of a recruiting company at the time while in school. So he kind of just knew everyone. I asked him who the best builders that he knew at school were. And then he introduced me to Anthony. Uh, but basically, we were going and looking at a bunch of different ideas. We were building projects on the side. You know, we just kind of wanted to build something. And we discovered Handshake because one of our uh, friends and also investors, Eric Melser, shared the white paper with us. And when we read through the white paper, you know, we're both engineers, you know, we don't come from a domain investing background. So we both come from an engineering background. And when we just internalized what Handshake was and 
the, what the possibilities were, we got very excited because it really just provides a step function improvement to the domain name system that, that literally is just not possible today in terms of the architecture. And once we kind of realized what was possible, we also kind of were thinking through what the potential limitations would be and, and what could hinder its adoption. Um, and we realized that, you know, we would need uh, some sort of service that makes it really easy to use because not only do developers not want to use things that are difficult to use, but also, you know, <laughs> end users, domainers, everyone, you know, you kind of need some sort of community interface. The same thing happened with Bitcoin when Coinbase was created to make it finally easy for consumers to adopt Bitcoin. So that, that's really kind of how Namebase came about. As we discovered Handshake, we got really excited about the potential. Uh, and then we decided to start Namebase in order to make Handshake adoption possible. That's interesting. So you really then kind of had Coinbase at a, at a parallel of seeing a bit of its success and not necessarily say copycat, but there are things that, you know, you can't actually lift it or transferable to put into your own project, given your own context then. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, really when looking at the, uh, the history of cryptocurrency adoption and also just adoption of various technologies in general, we kind of knew that there would need to be some sort of consumer friendly interface. And so the vision for Namebase was always kind of like a combination of GoDaddy and Coinbase to an extent. And, and the Coinbase part is necessary because uh, Handshake is a blockchain protocol. Uh, there is a token involved and you need a, some way to acquire that token in order to use the protocol, uh, at least in terms of owning the domains. And so we needed to create a way for people to be able to purchase them uh, and trade those tokens and then use those tokens. And so that's what we uh, you know, initially set out to build. I guess this is all of what, 2019? Uh, this is 2018, actually. So still 2018. And then, uh, so so you and Anthony, y'all hook up and then I guess now kind of walk us through just the timeline of, you know, I, I guess, did you come up with the name, name base first, or was it actually a functional prototype? Just kind of walk us through everything. Yeah, totally. So we, you know, at the time, the Handshake white paper was just released. And the team behind it was estimating, you know, a launch within like three months. And it actually ended up not, you know, it got delayed because blockchain protocols are very difficult to engineer and build. And so it actually only ended up launching in February of 2020. So we were a little bit early, but at the time, you know, we thought it was launching very quickly. We went out and raised money to build Namebase. Uh, we ended up raising $4 million from uh, Coinbase itself actually invested. Uh, also Fred Ursum, who's Coinbase's co-founder, uh, who runs a fund called Paradigm. Thrive Capital, Steve Jang, who was uh, one of the first investors into Uber. And a number number of other individuals, including Balaji's from Boston, who's also you know very, very prominent within crypto. So I ended up raising the money and then we started building Namebase. And then basically Handshake got delayed in terms of its launch by about a year and a half. And during that time, we just kept on building Namebase uh, because that's actually, we also underestimated how difficult it would be to build uh, not only uh, cryptocurrency on-ramp, so you can buy the h &S tokens with you know, your, your US, uh, USD uh, or Bitcoin, but also building out the bidding system so that you can actually go and bid on the handshake names. And I, and I can talk about how that entire dynamic works. But building all of that out and making sure that it was secure and reliable actually took a considerable amount of time. Uh, so then, you know, two years later, when Handshake launched in February 2020, uh, we had, you know, just been ready to actually go and support the launch. And uh, we launched on the same day as the Handshake mainnet went live. And then from there, you know, we've been continuing to build to work to support the ecosystem. 
um, which has been you know growing exponentially, which is obviously incredible to see. Now, you know, for for the listeners who are coming into this conversation in terms of hearing about handshake protocol uh, or handshake domains, HNS, they're hearing namebase.io for the first time. So in terms of this white paper, juxtapose uh, a bit about the decentralized Internet and and what's going on with handshake, uh, juxtapose it towards the legacy system or the current day Internet that we use. Like, how are the two different and, and why would, you know, anyone ever move or any company person anyone ever make that move to go towards decentralized web or d-web totally yeah great question so you know in, in a nutshell handshake is a decentralized dns protocol functionally what it allows you to do is you can use the protocol to register top level domain names on handshake uh, that you basically can truly own and control something that handshake did was they Protocol basically lets you register any TLD that's not an ICANN TLD, right? And that's important because you need the alternative route to support compatibility with the existing route. And once you own it, you can actually go and use it as your own TLD. You can sell subdomains off of it. You can create your own websites off of it. You can even use the route itself as a website. So you can use, you know, for example, if you go to nb.hns.to in your browser. So hns.to is a gateway for Handshake. Um, NB is a TLD that we own, you know, NB for name base. Uh, right. You can actually go and visit our website there. But effectively, it's this decentralized DNS protocol. And the reason why you want that, there, there are a number of reasons. And I'll just go from the purely technical to the more, uh, you know, cultural zeitgeist that kind of right. surrounds it. Uh, but from a technical perspective, uh, it actually allows you to have much higher security guarantees for the internet because you can replace certificate authorities, which are currently like a trusted third party in every internet connection with a distributed root of trust, uh, which is a blockchain. Uh, and, and this is really one of the primary reasons for anything to be on a blockchain. Uh, it's really about trust. So in the existing internet, basically the only way to solve a trust problem is to rely on a, a third party or a, you know, a set, a cluster of third parties uh, to delegate trust to them. Because prior to blockchains, there really wasn't any other way of you know, en- encoding trust other than you know, some sort of trusted in- institution. And then now with blockchains, you can basically uh, engineer a set of you know, incentives and using cryptography um, to actually have a distributed system that you can just fully trust in, in terms of the data that's on record. And you can basically make a number of assumptions that show, okay, unless someone has, you know, this much money and this much mining power, they can't actually compromise the network. That's what gives Bitcoin um, so much security. It's like in order to commit, do a double spend on Bitcoin, you would need to have, I don't know how much it is at this point, it's probably billions of dollars. And then also, even once you have that, you would need to be able to sustain that you know cost advantage over time which is just like I, there are a number of reasons why it's just like can't really do that it's very very hard and so what handshake does is it allows you to get rid of the root of trust uh and the ican based system which relies on certificate authorities and there's also this like key signing ceremony and stuff that happens you know every few months um, and you can replace it with the blockchain but in addition to that you can also decentralize the governance of the top level domain system 
so that instead of having an organization like I can manage it and, you know, charge $185,000 for application fees and actually, you know, not even issue new GLTs on Handshake, all of the TLDs are issued through a decentralized auction system, uh, which is fully permissionless. Anyone in the world can participate and they can actually register the names directly and, and know them themselves. Uh, and so that's something that's been really exciting for people, for a lot of domainers, right? Like, you know, Andrew Rosner is getting into it. We have uh, Mike Carson, who runs Park.io. He's gone into it really heavily and even started a company around Handshake. So that's that's really the aspect that gets a lot of people excited about it, is you can actually own your own TLD and it's decentralized. So it's truly owned by you. You don't have to pay anyone, you know, fees to go and use it. And then on top of that, you also have the cultural zeitgeist now that the current internet is facing, which is, you know, you've, if you've seen the recent months, uh, really everything's kind of happening all at once. We have, <laughs> you know, Trump getting deep platformed uh, on all the social media websites. We have Parler getting shut down, uh, you know, across the entire internet stack. So a lot of internet service providers like AWS and Twilio, et cetera, uh, they actually, you know, shut Parler off uh, from their services. And then we have, GameStop, you know, having their trading halting and that that hearing is going on right now. Wall Street bets getting deplatformed on Discord. So basically what's happening is the the centralized internet is kind of facing a reckoning because as the, the power uh, and control has consolidated, uh, the issues around censorship have, have also you know grown and magnified. And now there's kind of this huge wave towards decentralization where people really want to use these core, uh, you know, infrastructure primitives without having any, you know, centralized party, or in many cases, you know, an, an individual just in control and, and able to, you know, deplatform people at will. Uh, and so that's kind of a, a huge cultural reason for why Handshake's been growing so much recently is because there is this wave towards decentralization. And then there have been a number of, uh, you know, second order effects as a result of that. And then, and also just a number of um, other considerations for why people are excited about it. But those are kind of the primary reasons is the, the technology, it provides a better foundation for DNS, just from a, you know, security, censorship, resistance, and ownership perspective. But then also the centralized systems are all kind of failing now too. And so there's a cultural, to uh, cultural pull towards decentralization. Ah, yeah, because, uh, hey, cancer, the uh, cancel culture is real. I was about to say cancer culture culture which is true too unfortunately but the cancel culture is real and that's something that's being like you said witnessed in the centralized realm of you know people thinking and i think a lot of people think this just at a high level that because you own a legacy domain or legacy uh tld as referred to with like dot com dot net dot org and so forth that a lot of people think that when they pay the money that they pay, it's really you're paying on a lease of an annual basis. And guess what? It, it can be taken away at any at any moment without really uh, any reason as to why. And a lot of people don't know that in terms of just dealing with the, the centralized Internet or the Internet of today. Uh, one thing that you hit on that I think is quite interesting between the two worlds of uh, D-Web and then just the, so if we say centralized versus decentralized, is that when dealing with ICANN, and you mentioned it, that for me to become a TLD owner, I essentially have to throw down a $185,000 application fee. And that's not even, I mean, that's just the bare minimum of getting me started because let's just say, for instance, you and I were after the same TLD. Well, likely is the case, it's going to go to auction. We've got to pay even more money to, to 
uh, win that or to own it. And then I think it's like an extra, what, $25,000 a year or something like that uh, of fees to basically be able to uh, remain, I guess, the owner of that TLD. And so when you look at the cost of what the centralized web is, is costing in terms of being an owner of a TLD versus Handshake. I mean, to me, it seems like there is a a quite uh, dwarfed comparison. It's like I look at Handshake and I go, man, it's like pennies on the dollar, if you will. But at the same time, it's it's also kind of one of those things of like, well, you get what you pay for. So, like, help me understand how in the world is it that any and everyone now looking at the decentralized web can actually go out you know, own, if you will, the a proverbial stream, because I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, oh, great. I can go to the decentralized web and now I can actually own services uh, or solutions as a TLD. I mean, so help us understand the cost, but then also help us understand what what type of streams that we can own and cannot own. Yeah, that's a great question. And you're you're totally on point there, which is, you know, in addition to the application fee itself, there's also the cost of the TLD. Um, and really, at minimum, you're going to be spending like a million dollars if you're trying to actually own a TLD and kind of run it. You know, and if you look at kind of the secondary market for TLDs, that's that's kind of like the minimum bar for the spend. And so on Handshake, basically, what you can register are any TLD that's not in existing ICANN TLD. In addition to that, in order to incentivize existing uh, stakeholders uh, and brands to be willing to you know, adopt Handshake and use it, they also reserve the top 100,000 Alexa domain names as TLDs. Oh. So for example, only google.com can claim .google. Uh, and when I say they reserved, I, I don't mean that there's there's no uh, you know Handshake Foundation. There's no centralized team behind Handshake. The initial creators actually uh, created a foundation for Handshake uh, just to launch the protocol, and then the foundation dissolved after that. So all of these rules that I'm mentioning, they're basically encoded directly into the blockchain, and so they can't be you know changed nice. or modified. And so it's really it's really this permissionless system. But effectively, you can register any string. That's not, you know, I can TLD or Alexa top 100,000 domain name. Uh, and then if you have one of those Alexa top 100,000 domain names, you can actually go and claim your, your domain as a TLD. In terms of, you know, that cost differential, you're right. Because if you look at the, you know, the name sales, uh, we have a num number of stats available at namebase.io uh, slash stats. And you can see a bunch of the stats there. Uh, but even the most expensive TLD, uh, .NFT, that was purchased for $84,000. So wow. $84,000. Yeah, and, and actually that was a great, uh, really great flip. And anybody helped facilitate um, the escrow for that. It was purchased, I think, in August by uh, one of the a domainer for about $500. And then basically just like a, a few months later was sold for $84,000. And That's then actually... Crazy. Yeah, it, it has been really crazy. And then also just if you look at the marketplace volume, that's been growing exponentially. In February, you know, prior prior to February, the marketplace volume was maybe around like 100K or a few hundred K per month. And then February, it was close to a uh, million dollars for the you know secondary market for the TLDs. So the names are actually, you know, very quickly catching up. But even, even then, right, it's like, okay, $84,000, that's still a far shy away from the million dollar cost that traditional TLDs have. Right. Um, and I think really the, the primary reason 
for that cost differential and that that arbitrage is really just because Handshake is still so early in its adoption curve. Um, you know, even even given the huge the recent influx of all of the users into the ecosystem and you know the the adopters, uh, it's still the number of people who are aware of it is orders of magnitude smaller than the number of people that will be aware of it. You know, in, in a few years, or the number of people that are aware of uh, you know ICANN TLDs, and then also there is a certain unknown factor if you're kind of new to the market in terms of, you know, what, how will Handshake get adopted? How will it succeed? And, and I have answers to those questions. I can, I can share those and, and kind of thoughts around that. But because they haven't happened yet, you have to price in that uncertainty into the names as well. And so, you know, the names of, of course, are not going to be selling for as high as they will be once, uh, you know, browsers adopted or once there's more public DNS resolvers for them. And those things are all happening. But until they, you know, are actually real, there you also you always have to kind of price in uncertainty. That's just kind of how the markets work. So it's a combination of uh, just general, you know, early in adoption cycle, there's not as much competition and just like competing buyers as there will be in a few years. And then also because it's in its infancy, the usability and adoption is still very early. And so that has to be priced in as well. Now, let me ask you this. So with, with a handshake uh, TLD or domain, then like what is the renewal and is the renewal forever? Yeah, that's a great question. So there's no renewal fees for handshake TLDs. Uh, once you own it, you basically have the right to own it forever. There is a heartbeat transaction that uh, you need to submit every two years. And then if you if you bought your name and name base, we actually just take care of this for you and, and cover the, the transaction fees for you. But basically, you just need to submit a transaction that proves that you still uh, have control of the name. Because, you know, we've, we've all seen those stories of people losing, you know, tens of millions of dollars worth of Bitcoin <laughs> from right. forgetting their password or throwing out a hard drive. Um, <laughs> And that's honestly fine for Bitcoin, right? Because in a fungible, for a fungible token like Bitcoin, losing Bitcoins basically just decreases the overall supply of all Bitcoins. So it's almost like a nice thing for people, you know, not for the people who lose it, but for the entire ecosystem when there's less right. Bitcoins in circulation. That, that actually pushes the price up, makes the Bitcoins that you have more valuable. But in a non-fungible system, you know, when it comes to names, uh, if someone loses their TLD, right? If if someone loses the 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 buyer of dot NFT, if they lose the keys to dot NFT or they lose access to it, now that that name is just taken out of circulation forever. And then if people you know bought subdomains off of that, and if they're using you know uh, Alvin dot NFT, if you have that, or I'm using Tshon dot NFT, uh, but then suddenly it's just like the keys are lost forever. Now that name basically just gets wiped out. And so you can get entire swaths of namespace that become unusable over time if you are losing their keys. Um, so that's obviously an un unacceptable uh, issue uh, without the heartbeat. So the heartbeat transaction basically just proves to the system that you still have control of your name. Uh, and as long as you can submit that heartbeat transaction every two years, then you, you uh, continue to maintain control of the name. Um, and there's no cost associated with the name other than submitting uh, a, a transaction, which usually if you are familiar with how blockchains work, you know, there comes with a minor fee. You can right. even submit a transaction with a zero minor fee and just, you know, hope that someone picks it up and puts it into one of their uh, blocks that they're mining uh, just altruistically. So you could even do that. So there's basically no inherent cost to it. And even for, uh, if you're trying to, you know, add a minor fee to it, it's like a few cents uh, renewal. So it's effectively free. Right. Cause I think I saw, I was looking through a couple of auctions and I saw it was something like 40 cents. 
um, or some something like that. It may have been four cents. I, I can't uh, remember, but I do remember seeing it. And I was like, man, that's nominal in comparison to today's, you know, typical dot com renewal fee. Yeah, yeah, totally. And and also, if you just like think about the system, there's this kind of concept called a uh, wholesale wholesale pricing transfer. Uh, is it wholesale value transfer? Basically, what happens is when you have someone earlier in the supply chain. So in this case, it's like you know Verisign owning.com or like I can't control the TLDs because they're at the beginning of that supply chain, they have all the pricing power and they can go and increase their prices and capture, you know, continue to capture more and more of the value created on top of the ecosystem. Right. So now, you know, Verisign, they just got their uh, pricing restrictions lifted. And so now the prices of dot-coms are gonna increase over time. Um, you know, really the long-term play of that is that the, the real estate owners, like the t- existing TLD owners of today, they're going to increasingly be able to capture more and more of the value uh, on top of domains. Um, and it's really by just giving access to people to actually own their own TLDs, right? Creating more real estate owners uh, in this digital landscape. It's only by doing that can we actually democratize more of the access and actually democratize more of the pricing power. Which is which is really interesting because it kind of points back to, you know, when you first initially started and you were explaining about how you and Anthony um, read the white paper and and you addressed uh, certain things in terms of the DNS. And so you're looking at the pros and cons of what the current existing day DNS is. And then it's like you've come alongside to address many of those issues and challenges and simplify it along the way is essentially kind of what I take in. Is that correct? Yeah. So there's a lot of different nuances involved. There is nuances involved with both uh, bidding on handshake names and, re- and the renewal and, and all this stuff. And so basically we built an interface that abstracts all that away so that it works kind of intuitively to how you think it should work. And, you know, so you can, you can actually go and use your US dollars to go and get into the handshake ecosystem and start using it. Um, and then we also build a marketplace on top of that. So you can actually go and acquire names that you are interested in, but someone else is registered, um, you know, various things like that. Uh, so that's kind of all we've built. In addition to some other things like the, the name-based registry, which lets you sell subdomains off your TLD. Uh, that's, that's something that I'm actually really excited about as well. And I can talk about in a bit, but that's what you said in a nutshell is correct. So then, so then let's talk a, a bit about, because I, I actually, so I did an interview with Mike Carson and Steve Webb of uh, Park.io and Gateway.io, and I knew nothing about handshake, man. I thought they were talking about high-fiving and actual physical handshake and dapping one another up. I was like, y'all, y'all got to break this down to a brother. And so um, we did the interview, broke it down, and that was like early 2020, January, February, early 2020. Uh, matter of fact, I think it was prior to, no, it was after NamesCon. So it had to be like February, 2020. And so they were telling me about all this. And then during the interview, they looked up my name, um, Alvin Brown. They're like, yeah, it's going to be released. And I, I still had no, you know, reference or anything for any of this stuff. And so fast forward a year. So basically it's March 1st at the time of this recording. So February rolls around, actually the end of January, I was going to NamesCon and I had set a reminder from that original podcast and it popped up and was like, hey, your handshake name is going to become available. And so I gone out, I remember namebase.io and I was actually pleasantly pleased at how simple it was to actually get set up. I did have a little confusion in terms of, of how to fund the account, but that was all remedied within about 24 hours when I received a message like, hey, you can actually fund USD. And so I was able to do that, 
get the funds there. And then it was, a, it was, you know, I just start playing around. I, I took a list of key, key, uh, keywords or strings or domains or TLDs, however you want to uh, classify them and literally start looking them up and saw some of them had been released. And then I started an auction. And so to a certain extent, now walk us through what is a Vickery auction and why did you choose that auction versus the traditional auction whereby, hey, in the traditional auction, whoever bids the highest uh, at that last second before the auction ends is the winner. Like, why why did you all go away from that in and into uh, the Vickery auction? Great question. For context, what Namebase does is we facilitate the interacting with the auctions on the Handshake blockchain, but they're not actually happening on Namebase itself. Uh, they're happening on the Handshake blockchain. And so all the rules around the auctions basically are determined by the rules on the Handshake blockchain. Um, as a side note, we are actually creating auctions for the secondary market so that we can actually have that function differently. But for the blockchain auctions, they are run through a victory, victory auction because in terms of how the blockchain works, because all the transactions are public, um, you basically need to have some the, the system that uh, Handshake encodes, where it's like a victory auction, you submit a bid and I submit a bid, right? Let's say we're both bidding on Alvin. Uh, and this, you you submit a bid for 10,000 HNS and I submit a bid for 5,000 HNS. You end up winning that name. Uh, and you only end up paying 5,000 HNS. And you're not paying 5,000 HNS to Namebase or any entity. Uh, those coins actually get burned on the blockchain. So it creates this deflationary mechanism. And the auction format was basically engineered that way because in a normal server, you know, client, client server application with an auction system, you can have a system where someone's submitting, you know, a bid and they can re-up their bid and they're submitting bids all the way up to the last second. They can submit multiple bids and multiple changes, et cetera. Uh, but in a blockchain system, uh, the trans it's, it's slower than that, right? You can't really support as many transactions that quickly. And you basically don't really want to have a system where people are, you know, re-upping their bid and making a lot of changes um, and doing all sorts of transactions. You really want someone to just submit a single bid and have that be uh, their true bid. And the the best auction, you know, there's, there's all sorts of game theory involved with the auctions, but one uh, auction format that basically results in this behavior being like the most optimal behavior is a, a blind victory auction, which is, you know, if it, which is basically how Handshake works. It's like, if, if you are bidding and I'm bidding and we don't know what the other person is gonna bid, uh, and also we only ever pay the second highest price, it's basically like theoretically optimal for us to both submit our true bid, your, the true maximum price that we're willing to pay because we'll never pay more than that and we'll only ever pay you know, the second highest bid price. So that's why Handshake uses a victory auction is because you, know, you, can't, you don't really have the capability of doing the normal, uh, auction where people can re-up and bid to the last second and, and change their bids and whatnot. And you really want to incentivize just people submitting a single bid uh, and not really clogging the blockchain with transactions. Um, and so that's why Berkeley auction was chosen. Ah, uh, okay. So then help me understand this in this example then. So I place a bid at, let's just say 500, but then I also add a thousand uh, HNS blind to it, you know, for a total of 1500, uh, I guess, lockup amount. Mm -hmm. And so let's go with two different scenarios. First scenario, I'm the only one that bids. 
kind of walk me through there. So I'm assuming then that that 500 gets burned and I get back the blind or kind of what happens there? Yeah. So the uh, introducing this very important concept, which is a blind in handshake. So basically, if you bid 500 HNS and you add a blind of 1000 HNS, what, what's public on the network is that there is a total lockup for your bid of 1500 HNS. So no one knows whether you bid, you know, 500, your true bid is 500 HNS or 1500 HNS or 1 HNS or 1499 HNS. It could be any number within that range. They just know that your bid is, you know, from zero to 1500. And in the case of submitting that bid and there being no one else bidding, then you would actually win that name and pay zero HNS. So the second highest price in that, uh, in that case is zero HNS. So that's, you would get that name for free, actually. But if someone submitted a 600 HNS bid, uh, so you know, your true bid was 500 HNS, even with a thousand HNS blind, that's not used in terms of the calculation. It's just your actual bid amount. So if someone else bid 600 HNS, then they would actually win your name and they would just pay uh, 500 HNS, the, the, the bid that you, um, you know, submitted, that's the second highest bid price. So that 500 HNS would get burned uh, from their pool. Uh, but you would get basically the 1500 back. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. When you bid, there's no risk of losing, you know, that blind. And, and also if you lose the auction, you get all of the HNS that you bid back. And the reason why the blind exists, and this is also, again, another, you know, fairly technical reason. And so we do our best to kind of explain just the mechanics, but in terms of the why it's, it's fairly, um, you know, esoteric, but essentially on uh, handshake and on the blockchain, all the transactions are public and for a Vickery auction, in order for a Vickery auction to work, it needs to be uh, blind, right? Because if, if someone can see what your bid is, like the dynamic is just changes. So on, on the blockchain, you can't really do the blind auction, but what you can do is introduce a blind so that no one actually knows the true amount. Um, so basically it's just like a, a technicality because you can't really do like a true blind bid. They introduce the concept of a blind to make it easier to obscure the true value of your bid so that at least you can kind of introduce some, you know, blinding to an extent, like a blinding factor. So it's, it's basically just like a, a, a result of how the blockchain works and what the limitations are, but that's, that's really the, the reason. And it gets real interesting because you start talking about the blind and not being able to see and you're having to do, a, you know, it, it's like you said, it's really driving to the heart of just place your best bid and, and hope for the best because you you really don't know where someone has placed, you know, their bid. Obviously, you know, you know what the limits are, but you don't know what's in between and they could be one off. They could be, you know, they could be uh, one on meaning, hey, from zero, they just bid one H&S or they could be one off from that that limit. And instead of fifteen hundred, it's fourteen ninety nine. But regardless, it's like you have to make that personal decision to say, Hey, this is what I'm doing. This is as much as I'm willing to pay and just kind of let the chips fall where they may, if you will. Now, that's one complexity to this. Now, the other that I thought was interesting, and it was one that I ran into where I fooled around. And because you don't necessarily know what's going in auction when or where in terms of keywords, I fooled around and tied up all my HNS on a bid 
And lo and behold, a key word comes that I was like, oh, shoot, I really wanted to bid, but obviously I needed to uh, fund the account and I was funding from a uh, bank account. And so interesting enough that that took a couple of days to get there. And it just so happens that when I found out about the given key, uh, the string, it was like two days left. So by the time I even got the the funds there, got uh, H&S tokens purchased, then, you know, it was like auction was over. So, you know, walk us through in terms of timing uh, of of an overall auction because you know to a certain extent I learned a lesson in terms of hey you can fool around and tie up your HNS I think somewhere between like ten to fifteen days and so kind of walk us through at least you know take take a, a string for example and say hey uh, to start an auction I think it takes you know X amount of days so kind of walk us through this process yeah great question so the entire process uh from start to finish for an auction is about 15 days you know two weeks and there's a five day uh auction bidding period followed by a 10 day reveal period so the five day period is really just the period that you have to submit your bid at the end of those five days the uh, reveal period starts which is when you can go and reveal the uh, true value of your bid, right? So if you bid 500 HNS with a 1000 HNS blind, that's a 1500 HNS lockup. But in order to term- determine the winner, you need everyone to re- reveal, you know, what was a bid and what was a blind. And so during the reveal period, everyone goes and reveals that. Uh, and actually, if you, if you don't reveal, you actually lose all of your, uh, all of your bid in your lockup. So that's just like, irre- uh, irredeemable. Ouch. Yeah, but Namebase, we we so you know this is like one of those complications that at Namebase we just we just completely automate that for everyone, and so you never actually have to worry about revealing or you know losing your bid or et cetera. Um, so it just handles that automatically. But basically, during that ten day reveal period, you reveal the bid, the winner is determined, and then the winner can claim their name. So you know, in essence, five day bid period, ten day reveal period, that's the entire auction. And there is a, uh, another dynamic dynamic, which is when you first open an auction, uh, there's actually like a six hour open period, but basically, you know, that's, that's negligible. It's like when you first start kick off an auction, let's say you find a name and it hasn't been registered by someone yet. You can basically start an auction for that. And then after six hours, that bid will submit. Um, and you don't have to wait for six hours. If you're using Maybase, you can just put in your bid and then we'll actually schedule that bid for the six hours later when the uh, auction you know is available to start but that is another dynamic the the thing that you mentioned about having to wait for the usd to kind of settle that's really interesting that is like a pretty tricky dynamic that catches people off guard uh sometimes we're working on a few things to uh you know make that easier one stopgap solution that you can actually leverage is you can also buy hns with bitcoin so when you go to namebase.io and you go to the you know buy hns uh in the navigation right um, you click buy you can actually navigate and and buy with bitcoin instead and that'll settle within an hour uh so if you ever have you know like a, a time pressing uh hns purchase that you need to complete then you can always uh leverage that too no, that's awesome. I think in, you know, just in in my my time here, basically, well, a month now in terms of playing on the platform, being around just in the community. One of the things that strikes me is this whole, I guess, thought around gifting, gifting names. And so like, where did that come from? That's a great question. So the gifting is, you know, on Namebase, we created this feature that allows you to gift a name uh, via email. 
And it really has resulted in some amazing emergent behavior, which is a lot of the domainers. And, and also there's one who's been doing an, an incredible job. Uh, he goes by the nickname Handshake Jesus. Um, I think his real name is Jesse because on yeah. Clubhouse I've seen him as Handshake Jesse. But he's been giving, gifting some like really high value names, like even names that have cost thousands of dollars to register, right? Because it's a victory auction. So some names can go for free up to, you know, the highest name that uh, I think the highest auction was around like $50,000. And then the highest secondary sale was like $84,000. So there's a huge variance in terms of the the cost of the names. But uh, Crypto Jesus, uh, Handshake Jesus has been gifting some really amazing names. And uh, I think the reason for why the community has adopted that culture is because, you know, ultimately, regardless of what great names you have, the value of your portfolio will increase by orders of magnitude, if Handshake gets true adoption. Right now, we're seeing really the early innings of it, right? It's this, it's a, a curiosity for many people, right? Like Andrew Rosner actually puts it in a really good way. You know, he has a huge, I think he's like the number one domainer like on, on escrow.com um, and like uh, by many metrics, like in the world, uh, sells a ton of domain names, has a huge portfolio. And He's got into Handshake as of a year ago, he was looking at it and he kind of thought of it as a kind of like toy project, just something to look at for fun. And then now he's increasingly like, okay, you know, the traditional internet is kind of failing, right? He sees a lot of the issues happening with centralization and consolidation and and really everything that happened in January of 2021 is kind of like a wake up call. And now he increasingly sees it as a hedge for his portfolio because if something if the internet continues to kind of go down this trajectory, which is basically the thesis that we had as of three years ago. So it's been incredible and frightening to see it play out where just three years later, it's it's actually kind of entering into the mainstream, uh, you know, kind of consumer uh, thought process, which is that, you know, the, the, the centralization of the internet is actually a huge failure point and causing a lot of problems. But basically he's, you know, increasingly getting into it as a hedge. Uh, so right now, you know, it's it's become gone from toy to hedge, and then the future is when it becomes you know an inevitable resource and infrastructure for the entire internet, right? And that's that's really the end game that Handshake is vying for is that it is like the best naming system that can be like technically constructed. And as the existing internet continues to fail, there will increasingly be reason to flock over uh, to the decentralized internet that Handshake enables. And there's also this, just this year, the development and maturity of a number of decentralized web protocols like IPFS and Filecoin and Skynet. You know, if you're familiar with crypto, you might have heard of some of these, but they're basically, you know, decentralized storage systems, decentralized compute. And we're basically starting to see the building blocks for an entire uh, you know, decentralized internet that gives a lot more power to individuals and takes away uh, and mitigates the issues that come from, uh, you know, centralized platforms. So if you're someone who's in the Handshake ecosystem, you know, hoarding names to an extent is, you know, going to provide value to you, but it's not going to provide nearly as much value as helping Handshake actually gain adoption, which will just increase the value of everything by orders of magnitude. So I think, you know, that that's kind of like the root reason for why the altruism is even possible is because there's so much more room to expand the pie than just kind of cornering little pieces of the pie. And then a lot of the, you know, prolific gifters, they also have their own portfolios, right? And so it's, it's fine for them to go and do that. Um, and, and ultimately that that's what will help the community succeed is by bringing more people into the community. We can bring more people into the movement and grow the entire ecosystem uh, and that'll bring more value to everyone.
Yeah, and the thing that 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 struck me as as odd in this is that, and it's one of the things that you you kind of hit there in terms of 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 what's going on or what's often accused of in the legacy domain world of hey, all of the good names are taken. Uh, you had to be there in 1990. Everybody has hoarded all the good names away, but that's not necessarily the case in terms of this whole handshake domain um, and decentralized web. And so now walk me through and, and kind of explain to our listeners a bit about uh, what kind of stop guard was put in place whereby that no one person could actually come in and hoard all of the given strings or names. Yeah, that's a great question. And so for context, there have been many alternative routes attempts in the past, right? And and prior to blockchain, there are even, you know, centralized alternative routes. And, and I can share reasons for why, you know, all those failed and, and why, you know, this time is is different or, you know, some, some theses for why this time is different. It's kind of similar to how prior to Bitcoin, there were numerous attempts at digital currencies in the 90s uh, and they all failed. And then in, it wasn't until Bitcoin arrived in 2008 that the first like cryptocurrency actually succeeded and, and went mainstream. Um, but basically, in the blockchain space, there is another uh, protocol called Namecoin that was a, a predecessor to Handshake. And one of the issues with Namecoin is that it didn't have an auction system. So all the names were sold for a set price. And I think that price actually trended down over time. And in addition to that, there was no limitation preventing early adopters from registering all the names on day one. So you know, on the first day of Namecoin launch, basically the, the handful of people who heard about it could just go in and register all of the good names. And that's exactly what happened. We actually, uh, a lot of the community members were aware of Namecoin, of course, and even participated uh, in that ecosystem. And so they were just telling me like, oh yeah, I would just go down the list and just register all these brand names and all these, you know, premium names, et cetera. And then I just like hoarded them. And they can do that because their cost basis was like effectively zero. And that's a huge issue for any naming system because if that happens in a naming system before mass adoption occurs, then the early adopters are basically just preventing any latecomers or any newcomers from being incentivized to actually come into the ecosystem and grow it, right? If you, if you can't get any of the digital real estate, then what, what incentive do you have to actually go and get your own digital real estate and help it grow? So the distribution of names is really, really important. And two things were done in order to uh, ensure that the distribution would be uh, more spread out so that more you know, people in the ecosystem would have access to the names and be willing to grow it. Uh, one was the auction system. So instead of the names being sold for a set price, you know, their name, the state name is sold for the, the second highest bid price. And so that ensures that the you know, more premium names go to the people who are you know, wanted the most, right? And as I mentioned, I think the highest names uh, sold um, directly through the auction system was Dot Wallet, which went for three hundred fifty thousand HNS. That's about wow. like hundred, yeah, so about hundred thousand dollars worth of HNS um, at the current price. Uh, and then on the second mar- secondary market is eighty four thousand um, dollars. And then on top of that, there was also a uh, rollout period within the first year. So we're actually past that first year now. 
which is great because now there's also a lot more people in the ecosystem. So, you know, on any name, you're going to get a little competition, but still like a lot, lot less competition than you will, you know, in a year or two. But basically that, that rollout period limited the names so that on day one, you can only register, uh, a certain portion of the names. And then, you know, six months in, you can register more of the names. And then, you know, 11 months in, you can register uh, even more of the names. So that's why when you saw it in February, you weren't able to register your name until uh, later in the year uh, because your name wasn't released yet. And that that ensured that people who came in 11 months in would still be able to, you know, ha- have access to a lot of the good names and more and more people could come into the ecosystem. And and that, that was the dynamic and mechanic that uh, Handshake built into the protocol so that you wouldn't have this issue of, you know, just like five early adopters hoarding all of the good names and just basically limiting the growth of the ecosystem. And there you have it. All the good names are not taken. <laughs> they are not taken. Um, and and I'm actually, man, I, I'm surprised at just some of the names that I've come across and have added to my own watch list. Um, and it has just been phenomenal to see that. And so that's one of the things that I, when I look at the legacy world and I go, oh man, yeah, okay. That may be the case that, you know, that, that, uh, folks were able just to go through and just purchase all the names outright. Great. All right. That happened. But it's interesting to see, uh, again, you looking at uh name coin and then, you know, the legacy system in itself to kind of correct what went proverbial wrong uh, back then and, and make it right um, in this current setup. And so I think it's it's definitely going to be one of those situations that sets people up for success. Now, in terms of, and, and those are- yeah, the- And I would, I, would, I would just add, add on to that, if I may real quick, which is yeah. there, there's only been about you know 500,000 or maybe 700,000 names now that have been registered on Handshake. And if you think about how many names are registered in the traditional domain name system, right? Like 400 million. You, right. you can see we're just we're just you know multiple orders of magnitude away from that. So that that on its own just kind of shows you how early everything is, you know. And and that that many TLDs is is amazing, right? Because there's only 1,500 TLDs in the traditional system, and there's already 700,000 um, <laughs> in the handshake system. But also the use cases are a lot more varied. Uh, we're still very early into that, and we're we're actually building out you know more infrastructure to support more use cases um, at Namebase, but Handshake, if you think about it, you can one, just use it as a traditional domain, right? So if you have dot brown, you can have alvin.brown and just use it for that reason. I wish I had dot brown at at bad boys reserved. Oh, really? It must be for like brown. <laughs> I don't know. There's probably like a name in the Alexa top 100 K that has brown. But that just kind of goes to my point, which is you can use it as a domain name, but you can also use it as a, a TLD itself, right? So like alvin.brown. That 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 last name is something that's valuable, uh, right. probably more valuable on Handshake than you know as a, as a traditional domain. And then also now you have these names that not only can be used as domain names, but it can also be used uh, as TLDs. So then in terms of thinking, you know, what would be good for really good subdom- uh, subdomains, right? It's like .nft is like a great uh, TLD, and I can have uh, you know subdomains off of that. So that that changes which names are desirable. Uh, but also you can use Handshake names as decentralized identifiers. We actually are working on infrastructure now that lets you use your handshake name to use decentralized login. So you can actually authenticate into a website using your handshake name. Uh, so now that changes, instead of having, you know, dot Brown, you might want to have Alvin Brown, right? And Alvin Brown, it can be your username uh, or you can just use any, any random username. And so now you have these usernames that are really valuable on handshake. And that's something that's not really as much of a dynamic 
in the traditional domaining sense. And then on top of that, you can also use handshake names for uh, decentralized social applications. And we're working with the uh, founder of uh, Sia Sky's um, uh, Skynet, which is a decentralized storage provider. And this is actually something that I'm ridiculously excited about, which is it's actually possible to build decentralized social alternatives to Reddit and Twitter that effectively maintain the same usability of those sites, but there's no centralized platform that's in control of those systems. It's basically accomplishing the goal. You know, Twitter has a team that's trying to decentralize Twitter and it's basically accomplishing that goal uh, with the technology that we have today. And it basically just became available, this technology within the last few months. So we're really excited on sharing more about that. But now when you think about handshake being used in that context, it basically just really opens up the use cases that these names are valuable for, which also means that the, the strings that will accrue value changes, right? And so if you're, if you're clever about it, you can actually go and, you know, preempt a lot of those use cases, kind of get into them. And there's, there's value, there's arbitrage there. And even the existing system, right? Like on the marketplace today, people are making thousands of dollars just flipping the names that are even just being used as a traditional domain name. So it's like, we're, we're still very early in the market. So like, there's this kind of like early adopter arbitrage available right now anyway. But then there's also uh, this entire next wave of growth around the use cases that we just haven't even started getting into yet. Um, so there's just like a lot of potential. So I didn't even realize that then. So my handshake domain, Alvin Brown, which was gifted to me actually by Christopher Moore. So thank you, Christopher Moore. He ensured that uh, I got it um, because that was one of the ones that I saw come across the radar and I had locked up all my HNS y'all. Like, don't ask me why my, I was heartbroken. I was like, I'm probably not going to get it. And then lo and behold, thanks to Christopher Moore, you know, gifting me with my name. And so I didn't realize that then at some point I can actually use that as a username. And so that'll be, that'll certainly be interesting. I think I set up like, shoot, I want to say it was like a, a D-link, D-links on Alvin Brown. And so, you know, if so obviously don't go out to, to, to Google. If you're listening to this right now, it's March 1st, 2021. You can't go out to Google uh, Chrome right now and type in Alvin Brown slash or dot Alvin Brown and get there. Obviously, you're going to either do this a couple of ways. One is if you're using Puma browser, and then I believe now there are a couple plugins, right? Yeah. So there are a number of Chrome extensions that support Handshake. Uh, we're actually just releasing now a public DNS resolver uh, at hdns.io. Um, and it works similar to, you know, Cloudflare's 1.1 and Google's 8.8. Basically, you can change a single setting in your computer and be able to visit Handshake websites uh, across all your browsers. Um, and you can also do this on your on your phone as well. Although if you're on iPhone, Puma browser is great because it uh, supports Handshake natively in its browser uh, and it's a crypto focused browser. Um, and then there's also community efforts to get Brave to support Handshake. And so we're kind of ratcheting it up. Uh, going from you know the smaller browsers all the way up to the larger browsers is, is the end goal. But there are numerous ways to go and access handshake sites. You can also use hns.to as I mentioned. So I just went to alvinbrown.hns.to um, and I can confirm you have a D-link there, uh, right? You have a decentralized profile uh, at Alvin Brown, which is really cool. Yep, I do. And so, so tell me this then, does ICANN ever go away? Yeah, I think that ICANN will not go away just because they'll still maintain control of the 1500 you know tlds those will still be uh under their jurisdiction but i do think that the end game of this is that i will have 
much less influence over the root namespace than they do today. And that's kind of the trend that you're just seeing across, you know, every industry via technology is that the protocols that give more power to the people and more power to the individuals ultimately end up growing bigger than the, you know, centralized protocols themselves and right. basically just make make their power much less reduced. So, you know, one one great example of this is even just Uber. Right before Uber, you had to rely on taxi cabs to get around. And that industry was basically completely superseded by Uber and Lyft. And now the market cap of Uber and Lyft is, is greater than the entire taxi cab industry. Uh, and it's just you know better for consumers overall. Now we have more, you know, more, more control over our own transportation and more options. That doesn't mean that the taxi cab industry has gone away, but it does mean that their their influence uh, in certain situations has been reduced. And, and I think that that's the ultimate trend. And it's the same thing from these decentralized social applications. I don't think centralized Twitter and centralized Facebook or centralized Reddit will go away per se, but I do think that as these decentralized alternatives uh, gain more prominence, they will actually be far less in control and influential than they are now. And in the long term, you know, 50 years out, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they go away entirely, uh, entirely or like minuscule. Uh, but at least, you know, in the, in, in the near future, within the next decade, um, I don't think they're going to go away, but I do think that their influence will be uh, decreased. So then if ICANN is not going away under this premise uh, that you just mentioned, then how how do you guard against name collisions? future yeah. name collisions? That's a great question. So the uh, for context, there's, there's 1,500, you know, around 1,500 ICANN TLDs on handshake you can register, you know, anything but those 1,500 TLDs, basically. And then the question arises, okay, what happens once, you know, I, if ICANN issues more TLDs? Right now, the GTLD program is not open. And, you know, we talked to a number of people who are involved with ICANN and in the industry, and it seems like, you know, maybe in the next two to three years, the GTLD, GTLD program can open up again. Although for context, when we started in 2018, uh, that was also the same estimate. So two to three <laughs> years later, uh, the estimate has not really changed. But even once you, and then also once the once the program opens up, it takes, you know, about like a year uh, or more, right? There, there, there are still uh, TLDs from the last GTLD program that, that have not even released yet. They're kind of in dispute and they, they have some issues with them. But basically, the earliest time span that we're looking at is maybe like three to four years from now. Uh, and then from there, you also look at how many, how many TLDs are registered per year, issued per year. Um, and, and at max, it's around like 500 per year, if I recall correctly. So in three to four years, you're looking at, you know, a new TLD issuance of 500 per year. In terms of that becoming an issue, even if you look at the existing growth of handshakes, so within one year, you know, 700,000 names have been registered, TLDs have been registered. Uh, let's just round down to 500,000, just to make the math easier. So then, you know, 500 out of 500,000, basically you have a 0.1% chance of having a name collision. So in terms of that being issues, like that, that you can factor that into, you know, how you're kind of estimating the value or how you're kind of estimating, you know, how much to invest and how much to put into the name. But it's like, that's, that's kind of what you're looking at in terms of the, the collision likelihood. And then also that's in three to four years. And so, you know, Handshake's already grown this much in this, you know, just three to four years time. Also now the growth of uh, trends has accelerated, right? Like 50 years ago, for something to grow exponentially very, very quickly, it's very hard because we don't have the internet, right? So like you can only do like word of mouth growth 
like based on physical networks, physical social networks, whereas now everyone's online and increasingly, you know, the digital world is becoming, you know, our real social network. And so things can actually proliferate a lot quicker. Basically where I'm going with that is, you know, in three to four years time, we don't know where handshake will be. It could, it could go all go to zero. It could be worth nothing, or it could be, you know, where, where I'm at, which is more of like a handshake maximalist uh, in many ways, just based on what I see in the trends and the internet and just, just the structural limitations of uh, the existing internet architecture. Uh, basically, I, I think that the, the handshake adoption will be far, far greater than where it's at today. And there's also a huge social trend towards decentralization where people don't want to use the centralized alternatives. And so I, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a world in which even if I can't issue those new TLDs, the 1500 TLDs, they stay useful, but it's basically, you know, handshake for everything else. And I know that's like a, that's like an audacious statement. And so I, I can qualify that with a, you know, number of assumptions, predictions, and et cetera. Uh, but, I, but I wouldn't be surprised. I think there's a non-trivial chance that we basically uh, enter into that state of the world. And, and then from there, it's you don't have any worry about the conflict. Gotcha. And then in terms of, so so it's really these two worlds that are coexisting, obviously with uh, Handshake likely, if we were to, you know, to, to speculate and say, it's likely going to have a larger part of the market share, if you will. Yeah, I think, I think that's correct. Um, and then also, as I mentioned, there are use cases outside of just pure domain names, right? There's the decentralized websites. There's also the decentralized identifiers, you know, the usernames, as I mentioned, and also those decentralized social applications. And so the names can also be used in a context outside of uh, traditional domain names. You know, now increasingly Brave and Opera are trying to become crypto focused browsers, right? They're integrating more crypto protocols or looking at Handshake. Um, et cetera. And when you think about naming systems, naming systems, they kind of have a winner take all effect within a specific domain, right? So, you know, Facebook has its own naming system, Facebook usernames, Twitter has its own naming system, Twitter, you know, at handles, Instagram as well. And, and those names actually have value, right? People will pay good amounts of money for the handles that they want. Um, and then within the internet, we have also domain names for our websites. So each naming system is kind of unique to the use case that it mainly supports. And Handshake on the for the traditional websites is competing with ICANN for that. But for decentralized websites, that's completely new ground that is still just developing. The technologies for that are still uh, very nascent, but people are using Handshake for, you know, even you, you have a decentralized page at alvinbrown.hns.to, uh, or if you just, you know, have uh, hdns.io set up, you can just go to Alvin Brown directly in your browser. And so, you know, for, for those other use cases, that's the new ground. And so I wouldn't be surprised if it's something like Handshake basically uh, is the winner within those new use cases. And maybe, you know, ICANN is still uh, very much in competition for the traditional websites, but I, I don't foresee the traditional domains, you know, gaining traction for these new uh, decentralized use cases because it's it, just the, the way the architecture of the system, you know, the, of the traditional legacy DNS system works, um, it's just not really feasible. In that regard, then, so when we look at browser technology, like what's stopping us from having a situation whereby browser technology uh, is able to intelligently delineate between a legacy 
uh, domain and send it or rather retrieve content um, and display the correct content, you know, using the centralized network versus, oh, this person typed in dot Alvin Brown or Alvin Brown slash, they're actually trying to get to the decentralized network. Let's show them that content. Like what's stopping that from happening across all browsers just natively, um, yeah. you know, from, from install and open up and, you know, we type away and, and live in both of these worlds. Totally. So there is actually no technical reason why browsers can't adopt Handshake today. Um, and they can even use it for uh, its primary purpose, which is you can get rid of certificate authorities as a trusted third party. And that's a security ah. goal and actually use it as a more secure root of trust for HTTPS. And, and it's primarily just a matter of adoption and awareness. So, you know, Brave's taking a look at it. Brennan Ike has tweeted out that, you know, they kind of are developing a plan for Handshake. Um, I think Opera is the next one. Google and Safari and Firefox. Um, I think that one is more longer term, um, but I do think it's inevitable in a sense because just as as more and more individuals adopt Handshake, it's going to be hard for them to actually go and ignore it. And we've actually been really fortunate enough to uh, speak with Vint Cerf, who is uh, kind of known as like the, the father of the internet. He, he invented DNS. We also spoke with the head of uh, security at Google Cloud, and he also managed a search business. And it was really a fascinating discussion because with the Vint Cerf conversation, we kind of realized that if the you know initial creators of DNS had access to the technology that we have today, they would have created DNS and basically the same way that like Handshake works today. It would have been some sort of blockchain-based DNS because it does solve the main problems that the centralized DNS uh, has. Um, and then the other thing is we also realized that uh, Google is, is uh, in the long-term incentivized to adopt Handshake. The primary reason why is because for Google, and, and they've been aware of this trend for a lot longer than we've been aware of, just because of their ubiquity and you know market presence, they're seeing the trend where more and more of the internet is becoming siloed and si siphoned off and, and censored. Mm. Um, you know, it's very, very easy for authorities to actually censor the internet. You know, traditionally, people in the U.S. have grown up thinking that the internet is this like kind of unstoppable force. And that's primarily because uh, culturally, you know, the, the internet was started like in the U.S., uh, it was first, you know, gained adoption in the U.S. And so, you know, in the U.S., we have a strong freedom of speech culture, right? It's like baked into the Constitution. Right. Um, and so the, the Internet, as a result, kind of had those values. But then now we're seeing actually other Internets, like in China, they have the Great Firewall. And they develop infrastructure that basically makes it very, very easy for them to control and censor the Internet. And this is something that was actually thought impossible. I think like Bill Clinton has a quote that he was, that said, uh, you know, censoring, trying to control the Internet is like trying to pin jello to a wall you know he's kind of mocking <laughs> uh china's efforts there and uh you know they they effectively were able to pin jello to the wall they figured it out um uh, and now they're even exporting that technology to other countries so like in myanmar right now they're they actually have had an internet blackout for i think like the last like 10 days or something like that oh wow and i think there are even reports of uh like Chinese government officials like flying in because they're helping Myanmar like with their censorship. And so we're starting to see this huge battle between this like open democratized internet and this, you know, authoritarian censored internet. And prior to 2020, I think most people just didn't even know that this like authoritarian censored internet could even exist. And now we're seeing that, uh, you know, that that's increasingly becoming more prevalent. And from Google's perspective, they've seen that for a lot longer. And that's an issue for them because it's more profitable for them if people all around the world can go and visit google.com 
without censorship. It's an issue for them if people can't actually go and visit Google.com because then they can't sell ads. So um, it literally affects their bottom line if the internet is a censored thing and that isn't you know globally accessible and, and censorship resistant. Uh, and so for for Google, you know they're they're ultimately going to be incentivized to go and adopt Handshake. I think it's just a matter of gaining enough enough grassroots adoption because we're not going to be able to get Google to adopt it you know like this year or anything like that. But as more and more people use it, as you know, millions of people end up coming into the ecosystem, enthusiasts come in and start spreading it and using it, and it becomes increasingly important to their lives. And then you know, the bigger browsers and institutions like Google will realize that in order for them to you know, maintain this free open internet, they can actually rely on Handshake for infrastructure, and then it makes sense for them to go and integrate it. That makes total sense. And so some of this then is just going to be time. Uh, that we're waiting on likely time and a couple more scenarios to probably play out in real life. Somebody getting deplatformed or somebody's or organizations uh, getting deplatformed that then likely opens the door. And like you said, if 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 and when, rather when uh, main adoption comes, then it's just a matter. Like I said, it's just a matter of time now. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And you know, I, I typically don't like to make predictions. I think it's very hard to predict the future, but just structurally something that I'm very comfortable saying is that, you know, we will continue to see more and more issues with consolidation and censorship on the legacy internet. Um, It's just, it's just inherent to how it works. There's so many dynamics between, you know, power laws and network effects and just the, the natural consolidation. And then also in 2020, um, now politicians are becoming more and more savvy to technology in the internet. In the uh, 2000s, the internet was basically able to grow up without any supervision or influence from politicians because it was just thought of as a toy, right? There's that really famous quote from, you know, that Nobel Prize winning economist that was saying that, uh, you know, like the total value of the internet will not exceed like a few hundred million dollars, right? And then that was just wildly (laughs) wrong. But that's how a lot of the smartest people in the world thought about the internet, right? It was just kind of this toy and while it was considered a toy, it grew up and became the behemoth that basically runs our entire lives. Um, so now it's increasingly being looked at by, uh, you know, like political bodies and co- with political bodies comes regulation, but also uh, bureaucracy and censorship and, you know, more and more control. And so we're going to just see more issues with the legacy Internet. And as those issues come to fruition, there, there's going to be an increasing pull towards decentralization. And, and so to, in, in a certain effect, it's really just time. Um, the way I see it is uh, as long as the ecosystem you know, maintains itself and keeps on growing and developing and, and becomes usable, right? We're trying hard at Namebase. I'm, I'm glad that you're able to come on, but there's still you know, a lot of issues that we can address that make the onboarding actually easy and then the applications more useful. But as we prepare for that, it's really just a matter of waiting for more of the legacy internet kind of fail over. Right. Now, in the back of my head, man, I just hear uh, a certain demographic of listener that is saying, "Okay, great. You know, Tishan, you all have namebase.io. You're allowing us to uh, basically purchase um, TLDs and we can you're talking about we can become registries uh, through services like gateway.io or whomever. Um, We can actually use those streams as websites. Okay, great. 
But in terms of what if I don't necessarily feel comfortable in terms of being able to go out and invest and purchase names, whether from the marketplace or whether actually just opening auctions and bidding on them, like, is there still a way to take part in terms of, of handshake? And so can can people actually just purchase HNS and, and hold? Not that you would advise them to do so, but is that an option via via name base? Yeah, 100%. So you can actually just buy HNS uh, on Namebase directly um, and hold. Um, and so, so you can do that, right? So if, if you, you know, believe in some of these predictions or assumptions to kind of just see some of what's happening around the world and you kind of want to have exposure to that, um, then you can 100% do that. And, and I would say, you know, buy some HNS and hold and, and also just share with, you know, people that you know and, 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 and spread the word effectively. Uh, but you can also use handshake names and be an end user without actually going and buying anything, right? Like you can go to hdns.io and configure, uh, configure it on your computer, on your phone, on your router, and then you have access to the handshake internet on all your devices. And you don't have to do anything else. And all your traditional websites will work, facebook.com and google.com and et cetera. They all still work. It's just that you still have, now have access to the handshake internet. So you can actually, one, participate without any capital at all. And then also, if you don't even want to get into the naming, um, you can just buy HNS as well and hold, and that's completely fine. Yeah, and, and definitely, and, and like I said, don't take this as us telling you to go do it, because uh, I don't want to hear anybody that loses their shirt, house, or anything else talking about, hey, you said go do it. No, I didn't. That being said, so, you know, to take a step back here in terms of now, what is HNS at today? Yeah, I think as of right now it is i'm just checking i think it was like 30 30. cents or something like that yeah yeah it's at 30 33 32 cents right now yeah two two weeks ago it's it's been it's appreciated uh 60 in the past two weeks and and then in the past month it's actually more than doubled uh yeah the price has actually risen which has been interesting to see because I, because I want to say it was somewhere around. I remember seeing like when I first got started somewhere. It was like nine cents, and then it went from like nine cents to twelve cents. And then since then, it seems like it's just jumping leaps and leaps and bounds. Uh, you know, to a certain extent. And so, like like I said, I mean that that may be an option for for those who feel like, hey, I'm not really ready to to jump in or dive in in terms of buying names. You know, that is an option of just holding HNS, buying and holding HNS and just kind of see where this thing goes. Now, in terms of uh, the one of the things that I kind of see on the horizon is, could we actually start seeing the pairing of legacy names and handshake names together to actually increase their value? Yes, I 100% think that that's on the horizon. So for context, with the name-based registry, we allow anyone to go and start selling subdomains off of their TLD. And it works the, with the same protocols as compatible with the protocols that traditional domain registrars expect. So it's an EPP-based registry. And we've integrated with uh, 101domain.com, incirca.com, and uh, gateway.io. And, and actually, there's more registrars coming on that I'm really excited to share in the near future. But basically, you can list your name on the name-based registry and launch your own TLD, and then you can start collecting uh, revenue from you know, sales from 101 Domain and Encircle and Gateway. Now, this is something that's already happening, and, and basically 
we are currently working on opening up the registry to more users. Uh, currently we have like 10 to 15 TLDs on there and we're trying to automate that so we can have anyone just go and list whenever they want. And you can actually just do it for free, which is gonna be really cool because now anyone can just go and start their own registry business off their TLD. But something that I think is really exciting, I haven't seen this done yet, but I'm pretty sure this will be really lucrative because for context, the most successful registry to date, which has only been live for like a few months, has already had 500 sales at uh, $10 per subdomain. So that's, you know, 500 times 10 is 5,000. And that's actually 5,000. It works like a normal domain. They get to set the rule. So it's actually a $10 renewal. So it's really $5,000 per year that they're now earning from that TLD. And that, that was done with basically very little marketing at all. And so now they're starting to market it. But it's, it's very easy to see how you can take a, a nice name and actually go and create a business that's generating you know, ten to $100,000 per year. And it's cool because in a traditional world that that would be a failure for a TLD, right? Like right. The, the application cost alone is 180,000. But on Handshake, you can have a name, you can have a few names that are just generating $10,000 each, right? It's, it's a niche, maybe it's serving a niche on the internet that's just too small for a traditional ICANN TLD to serve. But you can serve that niche with Handshake and, you know, generating $10,000 a year, you know, here and there, it really quickly adds up. And it's actually a very substantial business that's very valuable. And it's just something that, you know, an ICANN TLD can't compete with because that's too small for them to actually go and enter into. But the thing that I see happening is you take a traditional domain, like let's say you have nft.com and we actually know the person that has nft.com. So we're connecting them with Jihan Chu who bought <laughs> .nft, but that domain name is going to get organic traffic on its own, right? People are going to be visiting that that's a uh, premium domain. So it's going to get organic traffic on its own. What you can do is you can, one, you could just like advertise your .nft subdomains on nft.com. So you can kind of monetize that traffic in a new way and get recurring revenue very easily. And, and I think that that will be just like one really powerful synergy that we start to see happening. The other thing is you can also set up a resolver at nft.com so that anyone can go and visit, you know, a subdomain at nft.com and it'll resolve to your .nft domain. So for example, if you have alvin.nft, you can just go and visit alvin.nft.com. You don't have to use a gateway like alvin.hns.to. And so when they buy a domain, a subdomain for your handshake TLD, it now is more valuable than it was on its own before because not only is it resolvable through handshake, but it's also resolvable through the traditional internet at alvin.nft.com. So I think comparing, combining it in that way. Um, and, and we're thinking about, you know, like making that really easy for domain owners so that you can just kind of do like a one-click configuration and, and that'll work. But, you know, I think combining it that way will, will increase the value of the names more so than they would have, uh, you know, value uh, without doing that combination. Yeah, because I could kind of see how, like, for instance, I have over 2300.com uh, domains. Now, I might not want to go out and bid on all of the of SLDs in name base as a TLD, but I may want to take my top ones and, and, you know, your top 20 and try it uh, just to see. Um, one, can you get can you actually get the string or TLD at name base? And if you can, great, then you can actually couple those together, couple those deals together, you know, create create yet even more exposure like you like you were saying than what would be with just the the TLD by itself or the handshake domain by itself. Well, I definitely appreciate it. Um, so last but not least, I mean, is there anything else that you'd like to share with listeners uh, uh, just about where you see things headed or, you know, any other pro tips and or things to stay away from? 
Yeah, totally. I'll just share uh, two quick points. One is, um, you know, I was reading recently talking with Nick Carter, uh, who's a very he's in Bitcoin, well-known. right? Yeah, he's a very well-known Bitcoin uh, evangelist and, and writer. Um, he also runs a fund, and they're now getting into Handshake because they have this uh, D-Web thesis. So they just raised a new fund, and they have these web thesis and they're getting to it which was actually i was super excited to see that he mentioned it in a clubhouse just the other night because he's a well-known bitcoin maximalist and doesn't really pay attention to any other cryptocurrencies so the fact that they're actually paying attention to the handshake is um really cool to see but their thesis was the same as thesis that i've been thinking about recently which i think is really important to recognize which is typically for a new technology to succeed one is if you look at like technology history everything that's ever succeeded always had predecessors that like tried to do that same thing and failed. And uh, a lot, it it was a lot of times it was two factors that basically prevented the predecessors from succeeding. It was uh, technology and also just cultural zeitgeist. So as an example, before Bitcoin, there are numerous Bitcoin predecessors, uh, but then it wasn't until Bitcoin basically created, right? Satoshi Nakamoto created Bitcoin and encoded all the mechanics and had the crypto, uh, cryptography that was necessary to create this incentivized system that the cryptocurrency also started taking off. But also the other thing that you have to consider is that Bitcoin was launched in the wake of the 2008 financial crisis. Right. So that was you know the primary motivation for it launching at that time. And that financial crisis basically gave people a cultural pull towards the values that Bitcoin was issuing. And that brought people into the ecosystem. So for technologies, you really need to combine not only a technological maturity, but also a cultural pull towards that technology, uh, you know, towards like the the benefits that that technology provides in order for it to actually take off and break into the mainstream and and succeed. Because otherwise you have great technology, but just no one really cares about that. For Handshake and the decentralized web, that's really the the larger narrative that Handshake plays into, which is the centralized web is now failing. And we're seeing more and more of that happening. And now there's a huge pull towards decentralization. And at the same time, I actually don't know how this like happens so perfectly. And it's crazy to me to see this. But at the same time, all the technologies that you really need to build a decentralized web, you know, decentralized storage and decentralized compute and decentralized naming, they're all basically reaching maturity and becoming usable within the same timeframe. It's like within the last 12 months, uh, these technologies have all released, you know, even Filecoin, it was in in development for years and then just finally released. (laughs) So we see those two factors, you know, those two ingredients kind of existing now and playing out. And I think that's the most important thing for you to consider if you're in the D-Web, which is the technological maturity and then also, also the cultural pull uh, towards it. That's the that's the first point I would say. The other point is I've been seeing some comments online about how like all the good names have been taking. It's so funny to hear that when it's just like we're <laughs> we're so early. Um, <laughs> and I'll, I'll just say it's like as I mentioned before, it's like we're we're super early into the entire ecosystem. Like we're still in the early early adopter phase. So to the extent that the names are taking like yeah that's some some of the clear premium you know one one and two letter names have might be taken up but only you know 500,000 names have been registered there's still two orders of magnitude worth of growth remaining so anyone getting in now is still very very early and it's it's really funny just to kind of see this just because history rhymes so often uh in bitcoin it was the same thing when when we even just started in 2018 
you know, we were hearing so much, oh, the Bitcoin price is so high, we're still so early, you know, just all of this concern about Bitcoin, you know, being saturated. And turns out, eight years in when, you know, in 2018, <laughs> I think it was nine years in, right? Turns out that was still really early. And there was still literally 10x growth available. Uh, in 2018, I'm pretty sure it hit 3000 at one point, um, or maybe that was 2019. And then now it's literally at like 45,000 or 50,000. So every year people are always like, oh, I'm too late. I'm too late. I wish I got in earlier. I wish I got in earlier. You know, it's like the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago, but the second best time to plant a tree is now. Um, we're still very early in handshake in the entire decentralized centralized web. So if you're, you know, concerned about being late, just don't be, just jump in. You're definitely among the amongst the 1% early adopter crowd, uh, even still. That that is good to know. And, and that is actually a great way uh, to end it. And so if somebody's wanting to get in contact with you, uh, just with additional questions, I mean, how might they do so? Are you on Twitter, LinkedIn? Kind of, how do we get in contact with you? Yeah, totally. So um, if you go to nb.hns.to, that's our uh, D-link, that decentralized profile that we have. And we have a bunch of links there. Um, our website and our community, we have a community page. Uh, as as you might have mentioned, uh, the community is really, really welcoming to newcomers and, and the gift names. And there's just a really good culture there that I think is so important. So if you're new, just check out the community page and join uh, the community, there's a Discord, there's actually a new forum that we're creating as well that, that lets you log in with your handshake name uh, that we're announcing very soon. Uh, but if you just join the Discord, you'll kind of hear that uh, first um, in that chat. Uh, and then from, from the, the, the link that I mentioned at nb.hns.to, uh, you can find our Twitter and, and my Twitter as well. Um, so there's a lot of different channels. Got it. Well, with that, we're out of time. So, Tia Sean, thank you again for joining us today and sharing this journey of uh, handshake, man. I hope it. I hope it does uh, turn a corner. It, with like I said, with things the way they are, it looks like it certainly ha has already turned a few corners. So, hopefully, it's uh, up and to the right and not uh, down and to the left. Totally, totally. Thanks, Alvin. Yeah. Thank you. And listeners, thank you for tuning in to Kickstart Commerce, where we share search marketing and domain name strategies to help grow your business. Please subscribe to this podcast via iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or Podbean. And last but not least, please visit kickstartcommerce.com to subscribe to the newsletter, sharing tips and tricks about the disciplines of digital strategy. Thanks. And that's all for now. 